Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show where OPP means, obviously, other people's pipes. Yeah, you know me. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you on a lovely, beautiful fall evening. If you can hear it, the window's open, fresh air coming in, the pipe is lit and smoking, and I love this time of the year. All right, in uh, pipe parts, in tonight's show in pipe parts, uh, going to kind of cover in, in brief the different finishes of Dunhill pipes. Thought, you know what, maybe, uh, maybe we need a little refresher on that and maybe I haven't covered them all. Uh, my guest tonight is pipe maker Robert Vacher of Laughing Moon Pipes, so we'll talk to him. And then uh, music, mailbag, and a rave at the end of the show. All of that coming up on uh, tonight's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Um, so, yeah, so fall is upon us. And uh, quickly, I had a, another week of vacation that I had to use. So, being empty nesters, uh, we're going on a cruise on uh, October 22nd. So if uh, anybody out there is going to happen to also be on the Norwegian Escape on October 22nd, uh, I'll meet up with you. I'll have my pipe and uh, see how this one goes. Um, does not look like there is any indoor uh, pipe and cigar smoking area except for the room called the Humidor, which is a uh, cigar lounge. So anyway, I'll have that to look forward to. I'll let you know how that went. Obviously, that show that week will be 100% pre-recorded. But, you know, for us as uh, new empty nesters and uh, kids off and all doing their own things and handling their own stuff, well, you know, it was kind of interesting. We just, all right, let's see what kind of last-minute deals were out there. Picked a ship that's uh, a little different than one we've ever been on, and hey, that's what we're doing. So, anyway, I'm kind of excited for it now. And uh, the best part of the deal is the drink package, unlimited drinks for the seven days thrown into the deal. So, um, I have a feeling I'll get to try a whole bunch of drinks that I've yet, not yet tried. Anyway, let's get the show going. So, everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company. And here we go. Meet Aaron, one of the most important people at SmokingPipes.com. In our shipping department, he's one of the cogs in the highly efficient wheel, if you will, that's responsible for making sure your order goes out right every time. Ain't that right, Aaron? I don't know all about that cog in the wheel stuff, but I do know at SmokingPipes.com, I take my work very seriously. Pulling tents of tobacco, weighing bulk tobacco, triple checking orders, and getting them out the door. Since it's so easy to order from SmokingPipes.com, you're keeping Aaron pretty darn busy. Look at him go, go, go. <laughs> in fact, it's been a challenge to get him to stop long enough to say hello. But Aaron doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why is that, Aaron? Because I don't just ship pipes. I smoke them. Gotta run. <laughs> just log on to SmokingPipes.com or call us at 1-888-366-0345. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. Welcome back. All right, so in my opinion, which I am the leading expert on, uh, Dunhill is quite obviously one of the most influential brands or uh, factories of uh, factory pipes in our in our little hobby in our history. I mean, everybody that got into pipes or makes pipes references themselves against Dunhill. Uh, one of the things that everybody references is group size. Group 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. I think there's a group 6. So real quickly, let's go through some of the finishes and just explain some of the terminology. 
Uh, group size refers to the size of the bowl and the length of the pipe. A group one is going to be a very small uh, 15, 20, 25 minute smoke all the way up to group four, which is what we nowadays would consider a standard to uh, medium sized pipe. And then group five is bigger, and then you get into the ODAs and the ODBs, which are larger pipes. All right, in the finishes of Dunhill, and I'm going to go through this quick, uh, there's a great article on pipedia.org, which everybody should go there and read. And while you're there, support Pipedia. Uh, it's assisted with an article by, from uh, smokingpipes.com. But the basic finishes of Dunhill, when they first came out, there was there was three finishes. There was the Briere, which is the smooth, kind of a red, uh, re dark reddish color. Uh, then there was the shell, and the uh, and then lastly there was the root briar, which is the more tan or light colored smooth. So you got the you got the Briere, the shell, and the root briar. Um, Going in, the, the shell was a black sandblast, and we've talked about how the pipes were made specifically for their sandblasting capabilities. Uh, going forward, and in no particular order, you'll see some that are, that are stamped ring grain, and those are more recent productions. And those are ones where the sandblasting, where the rings of the sandblast go around in a circle, uh, more similar to what we're used to seeing in artisan pipes. Uh, introduced in 1952 is the Tan Shell, which is a brown sandblasted pipe. And again, that pipe was specifically sourced for that brown color. Uh, then we talked about uh, last week or a couple weeks ago with Rich Esserman, the popularity of uh, the Red Bark, which is a reddish stain on a sandblast. Um a rarer one is the dress pipe, and the dress pipe is all black. Uh, when you're trying to make a pipe that is stained all black, there is really no black stain. It's several layers of purple until the pipe blackens up, and it has to be a very good, very clear piece of wood with no fills or flaws or no weird grain patterns in order for the black to work out on it. Uh, the next one is the Cumberland, and that became a bit of a uh, <laughs> a bit of a uh, bone of contention with a certain Bill Taylor, the pipe maker. Uh, Cumberland is a brown sandblasted pipe with a Cumberland stem, or as he would call it, a uh, he'd call it a brindle stem, and it just refers to the different colors: the browns and the reds and the blacks and the color of the stem. Uh, the Cumberland is uh, is a brown sandblast. Uh, similar to it in smooth is a chestnut, which is that more deep, uh, that deep brown color. And then there's a pipe called the County, which is a tan shell with a Cumberland stem. And the Russet is a medium reddish and the black stem. Uh, in more recent years, you'll see an amber root, which is kind of a, uh, uh, it's a stain that's meant to accentuate the flame grains. And then you'd see them even uh, currently, I believe, they stamp them with multiple flames depending on how, uh, how good the, the flame grain is on the pipe. Uh, the one that is of the most coveted and collected is the DRs, which only come in root briar or a few of them in the amber. And the DR is supposed to stand for dead root. Uh, and those are graded 1 through 6 or A, B, C, D, E, F. And then occasionally in the old days there would be some Gs and Hs. Uh, the lower the letter, the lower the number, the lower the grading of it, the higher the better it was, but again, uh, Mr. Richard Dunhill was the one that uh, selected all the uh, the dead root gratings, and I mean, each year they might come out with one or two, or maybe on a really good year get five or six uh, DR six stars of recent. 
So those are relatively rare. Uh, some of the other markings you'll see on Dunhill pipes, instead of a shape number, you'll see a shape code, like an LBS or an LC, which are shape codes for specific shape names. There was an OX, uh, an ES. So you'll, you'll find some of those on there, and those are just designations for those shape names. But again, take a look at the article on uh, pipedia.org. Great information in there, and even if you're not a fan of Dunhill, there's still a lot of learning and a lot of the beginnings of the pipes that we see and enjoy now. So there you go. All right, in just a minute, Robert will be on the phone with me. This is Internet Radio. Craftsmanship, history, tradition. These are the hallmarks of all quality products. From the finest wines bottled in France to the most highly engineered automobiles manufactured in Germany, Denmark has been the one country in the world where craftsmanship, history and tradition have for centuries created the finest pipe tobaccos in the world. Since 1887, the Halberg family have led the pipe tobacco industry through their ownership of Mac Barron Tobacco Company and they continue to create the most sought-after blends in the world today, just as they did over 100 years ago. In keeping with their long history of providing the world with the best tobacco on earth, Mac Barron is proud to announce their newest creation, Modern Virginia, as a loose-cut version and a flake version. Bright and dark, rich Virginia tobaccos have been combined with just a hint of burley for strength in this soft and smooth smoke with delicious fruit undertones. As the world leader in flake tobacco production, Mac Barron is sure that this blend will appeal to the true connoisseurs of traditional Virginia flake tobacco, as well as those who like their tobaccos on the sweeter side. Enjoy the culmination of centuries of experience by picking up a tin of Modern Virginia from Mac Barron Tobacco Company. Available at fine tobacconists everywhere. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and joining us is uh, pipe maker Robert Vacher, who I knew mainly as the guy that was making Laughing Moon Pipes and... Uh, Met him a couple of times a while back, but uh, it's been a while. So, uh, Robert, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, all right. So, I uh, I saw that you've re that you surfaced on Facebook uh, about a week or so ago. But let's get to know you. Where did you Where did you grow up, and when did you first start smoking a pipe? Well, I was I was born and raised in Sacramento, California, and as I was growing up as a kid, uh, I, my mom worked at an Air Force base in Sacramento, McClellan Air Force Base. So we lived in a little community of people that serviced the base. So there was a lot of guys that are referred to as double dippers. Uh, they had been World War II and Korea and Vietnam vets. So when I was about eight, seven, eight years old, all of the, all of the men on my block uh, worked at the base also, and they a lot of them smoked pipes, and I thought that was uh, I thought that was pretty neat. They smoked from K Woodies and and Falcon Kirsten style models up to uh, your average Briar pipe. So I always thought that that was uh, pretty manly, and <laughs> I wanted to be in with that. So in my early twenties, uh, I I tried a few different things from chains like Tinderbox. There was a place in our town called the Trade Winds and also one called Tower Pipes next to the Tower Records in our town. Yeah. And uh, it, it was, you know, it was hard to learn on your own. But when I was about 24 years old, uh, I was living in the, the, the mountains of California near the town of Coloma where the uh, Sutter's original finding of the gold was that and i met a guy that was a pipe smoker and through the winter i kind of got a little better at it and um i was enjoying it quite a bit i could make it stay lit and that was the hard part was was getting the tamping and the choice of tobacco and the pipe all semi-correct and i smoked a couple of board pipes and one day I was in the tinderbox uh, chain store in 
Sunrise Mall in Citrus Heights, California, suburb of Sacramento. Um, and I, a guy, uh, the one of the, they had a lot of uh, older guys that actually smoked pipes in the stores at that time. And he said, why don't you move away from this and get a, it was a GBD, a bent GBD, GBD and uh, try some of the jarred tobaccos. I think it was my first time, I, they, they, they move you into what's called the Norse Gold, I think is what their house big seller is. And, and it was pleasant, and, and it, it, it kept me going for about another six months. And I went in there one day, and there was an older gentleman. His name was Bill. He was about 80 years old at that time. And he had uh, original purchase patent Dunhills from the 1920s. Uh-oh. And he, he said, maybe try one of these. And so I, he would let he let me smoke one, and I said, "Oh yeah, that's pretty good." Then uh, some of the other guys that were there, one one gentleman, his name was Scotty. Uh, he he sold me an escorty pipe, and that was my first time my venture into a slightly more middle of the road mid grade pipe, and he introduced me to English blends by saying. Uh, if you want to go in half on a tin of rat rays with me with my discount, it's probably about six dollars. <laughs> we could split it, and I'll even let you have the can. And uh, it was the rat rays accountants blend, yeah. and that's what actually drew me in a scorty an escorty pipe and that tobacco. And then after that, it was full on. Now, what year was that? And do you remember how much the escorty pipe was? I, I do. It was uh, 19, the end of 85, the beginning of 86. It was just around the time that the shuttle Challenger blew up. It was right, oh. it was in that winter. And I believe that the Escorty pipe was $69. Wow. And I was making minimum, or I was making $6 an hour, and they moved me up also from buying. Tinderbox Private Reserve, uh, thirty-five cent cigars, to the uh, Hoyo de Monterey Excalibur Number no. One, and <laughs> at that time that that cigar was a dollar eighty. And I went in there one time after cashing my paycheck, and I remember this because I bought a box of twenty, and I gave him two twenty-dollar bills, and I got a little change back. And I remember when I was handing it to him thinking to myself, oh, who do you think you are, like a Rockefeller buying these? <laughs> and uh, you know, nowadays, that's still my favorite cigar, but, you know, it's a little more than 180. In uh, 1993, I got, a, I got a tip at work. I got a $50 tip, and I wasn't making, you know, minimum wage, but still 50 bucks was a big tip for me. I went out and bought a box of Partagas number tens and a box of Fuente double chateaus, twenty cigars, and I still had like four bucks left over from that. <laughs> and I was like, Holy cow! Yeah, I got in trouble and I got home for spending all that money on cigars, uh, <laughs> but I got in trouble when I got home for other things. Anyway, um, <laughs> we we might have also crossed paths because in 1981, 82, 83, I was spending my summers in a little town called Shingle Springs. I know right where that is. Yeah. It's a nice little town. Yeah. I used to hang out up there with my aunt and uncle. Uh, so anyway, so we get, we get you, now you're, now you're smoking high-end tobaccos in high-end pipes. Where does... Right, this, you know, it... At that time, I, I mean, the internet, of course, wasn't out in the mid '80s, and yeah. but there was mailers, and you could still find uh, a sh the shoebox full of pipes at the garage sale or out at the flea market, and uh, the the escorty rep came out and did a tailgate show, a trunk show, at that tinderbox, and. That's what sold me really on that after that was I had a, the very first Escorty that I bought after only about two months. The draft hole in the 
in the stem itself, I bit through. And I brought it in there to show them, and he said, oh, yeah, it was just real thin right there. We'll replace it with another one right here. Just pick one out from the trunk, and and we'll just trade you. And that so impressed me that, I, I mean, I stuck with that particular store and that particular brand for a long time. I still have the the gentleman, uh, Verl Scott was his name, but everybody called him Scotty. He gave me an Escorty pipe from his own collection. He said, I think you'd like this one. It was a little Canadian. I still have it. I smoke it. Uh, it's in my briefcase that I'm looking at right here in the garage. <laughs> and and I still smoke that to this day, and it's been uh, a couple months. It'll be 30 years. Wow. So did you did you stay with the Scorties for a long time, or did you start moving out into other brands too? I I, I went out. I mean, I I found uh, one time at the uh, there's a little town out there called Roseville. They have a, a farmers market and auction and a flea market, and I would go there and get pipes or go to the some of the thrift stores and the antique stores. I found uh, mid grade Sheratons. Uh, mid-grade Savinelli's, um, so another Escorty one time, and uh, and a few Dunhills over the over the time of collecting them, and but I mean to this day I still the the to me I look at the Escorty and I'm like oh, that is a great pipe. <laughs> I see them and I'm like the older the Caminos the new ones also but the the older ones I see them and I'm just like oh. That's that's really what it is for me. I love the feel of their their bits. Uh, some are a little thicker than most people like, but but I don't mind that. Um, but I just love this style of those uh, the Italians of that range. Now, how did you learn about all these pipes to look for at the flea markets and and stuff like that? Well, it was uh, it was hit and miss on my part, and then I would bring them trial and error back over to the tinderbox, and those guys would look at them and go, that's a good one. And <laughs> that's, that's, you know, you, by, after a couple of years, you should be able to have an eye for looking at something that, yeah, that's a, that's not so good. They just have the look. They have a feel. They have an aesthetic. And the you know, not to talk down the the mass-produced blister pack pipes of that of that time, but uh, you could tell the difference between a nylon style mouthpiece and a more substantial mouthpiece. And the la- the you know you'd see them with the lacquer chipping off and go, oh yeah, no, those are junk. And you might see something else and bring it in, and they'd go. Oh, that's a good pipe. I found a box full of K Woodies one time, and the guys at the tinderbox sterilized them and cleaned them for me. And they said, "You're going to enjoy these," and I and I did. So you could take a you so, could take a pipe that you bought somewhere else, and they and they'd clean it up for you. Yeah, they had the whole uh, oh, what's that? The reduction set with the alcohol and the. They would they would show you how to do all that. They they took the time out of their day to help you get a little more into it. I I don't think they thought they were going to make a huge sale off a guy like me, but they were going to continue to get business from me. I mean, I was a young guy. I was certainly going to. I I had a pretty good shot of getting older in life. They were going to continue <laughs> to be able to sell me a little. But they also did it for the love of it. They would sometimes invite me to their home. Hey, why don't you come over and have lunch with me tomorrow, and we'll smoke and talk. And I was interested in that. All right, so what were you doing for a living at this time? Uh, I worked at at the Price Club. Okay. It was, uh, you know, one of the nation's first uh, big, uh, big box stores. And I, I started out there as the guy that pushes the cart out in the, uh, out in the parking lot. And, uh, and I also played guitar. And I, I played on the weekends in a, in a band. I've always been, since, since high school, I've always been able to make a living playing guitar. Wow. Um, 
And I, I'm just lucky that way. I fell in with guys that were much more talented than I was and uh, rode on their coattails through being able to make, uh, you know, rent money by just working on the weekends as a guitar player. During these early times, how often did you smoke your pipe during the day? Um, well, I got, uh, I've never been a cigarette smoker. I tried it one time when I was 12 or 13. I took one puff and it put me to the floor and I had to crawl home, you know, <laughs> and lay on the tile floor for a little while. And I said, I'll never do that. And, uh, I, then I got interested in it with like, at that time in California, you could still smoke in a restaurant. And I knew people that smoked. I had an uncle that smoked a pipe. And when we would go out, they always seemed to want to smoke right after their dinner or their meal. And uh, I now it's in, in my life now, I have about a 15-minute window. I wait until about 15 minutes after, 20 minutes after. That's when I love to, that's when I like to smoke. And that was what I kind of gravitated to. And I probably smoked maybe, oh, on average, two or three times a day but not full bowls all the way down. I've, and I've never been a, a tobacco waster. I've always been a bowl finisher. So if I, uh, and I've always, I've been a coffee drinker for a long time too, and that worked out pretty good is smoke a little here. And then uh, after lunch, finish that off, or after dinner, finish, finish that off. And there weren't a lot of really, um, it seems like for me, I never saw, I'm sure there were, there's always been group ones and group twos. So there was always little pipes, but it just seemed like the ones I bought were maybe like a group four right around there. I've never been into really big pipes, but around a group four where you could smoke maybe 15, 20 minutes at breakfast and finish the rest of it off after dinner and, and you'd be satisfied. And that's kind of how I work it now too. Huh. All right, we're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we'll talk about uh, pipe making. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. What are you looking for in a pipe? Is it the quality of aged briar? Is it a certain shape or finish? Maybe it's the sound engineering that ensures an effortless, smooth draw with each and every puff. That's exactly the kind of pipe Savinelli has delivered for generations now. With such a variety of shapes, finishes, and sizes, it's easy to find something that fits your sensibility and style. Just this year, we've expanded our lineup to include the Bianca, the Lancelotto, the 2015 Collection, and the final installment in the Leonardo da Vinci line, the Vitruvio. For a bolder style, try our more colorful 2015 editions as well. The exotic Cashmere, the sultry Licoricea, and the striking Archibaldino Red. So whatever you're looking for in a pipe, know there's a Savinelli waiting for you. Contact your local or online retailer to find your Savinelli today. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with Robert. And all right, the next question is, is how do we get into pipe making and where did we come up with Laughing Moon Pipes? Well, there's, there, there's the two stories. They're, they're years apart, but I'll tell you that the first part of how did I get into pipe making, I've, I've always been pretty shy, and even though I've made, uh, I, I played guitar a lot uh, in the 80s, it, it, like that, I never have been good at boy-girl relationships. I've always been kind of shy. <laughs> so... I, I you, when you're when you're 24 years old and you're in a tinderbox smoke shop on a Friday night, when you should probably be out doing what 24 year olds do, I'm at this tinderbox and I'm in there looking at pipes and there was a guy in there and he was uh, he looked to be in his mid 50s. He was wearing a leisure jumpsuit with soft shoes with the uh, uh, Velcro shoes. <laughs> and he had a bag with and some pipes on the counter, and he was talking to one of the gentlemen that worked at the at the tinderbox. And I came in, and I was like, "Hey, who made these?" And he said, "Oh, well, I made these." And I said, "Wow, those are that's really nice. I'd like to someday learn how to do that." So he gave me his phone number. Now, mind you, this is a Friday night, probably about eight o'clock in the evening. 
I'm there to buy some, some cigars and take off. And uh, he gave me his phone number. And at 9 o'clock in the morning on Saturday, I called him and said, Hey, do you, uh, do you remember me from just last night? <laughs> <laughs> we met at the tinderbox and he's like yeah and he he lived in a little town called orangevale california and he, he lived in a trailer park and he had a little tin shed off the back of his house and i went over there and uh we sat in there uh, he showed me the drilling and the shaping and all that and we went in the house and had a cup of coffee and his wife carol she made us his name was ted lewis his wife was carol and she uh she was in there making us some bologna sandwiches or something, and we just had it. We just got along pretty good. He turned out to be, he was 57. He had a few more years to go before he retired, and I would come over there uh, once a week and for a couple hours, and he would show me the uh, the fine points of making dust. I mean, so you that was in, you got lucky enough to run into a pipe maker, and that's how you got started. Right, and in our town, uh, Orangevale is right next to Folsom, where Folsom Prison is. Yeah. In that town is a pipe maker named Joe Mariner. Yeah, he's a pipe maker of some legend, and uh, he would also come over. There was another pipe shop called the Trade Winds, and I believe the guy that owned that was named Jack Anderson, I think, but. Mariner would come over there, and Mariner would come over to Ted's house and drop off wood over there. And I would see these pipes, and I would be like, wow, those are really neat. I don't, I didn't smoke freehands. I've never owned a classic Danish freehand, a dual opposing cone style freehand. But I saw those, and I said, wow, that's like uh, art. And I was uh, big on the progressive music of the early 70s, like the band Yes. Yep. And and Joe Mariner's pipes reminded me of the cover of their album, the the kind of the kind of sci-fi look like that. And there was just that going on at that time. And Ted Ted took me to a couple of pipe shows, and I saw that wow, this is pretty neat. None of my stuff could go there because I mean I I, I unfortunately don't have any of those pipes of his or mine from that time. I was in a taxi one time, and I left the bag there, and uh, someone someone just took it from the taxi. Oh. And so I never got that back. It maybe had a dozen pipes in it. But I, I, just, I just really liked doing it. And a few years later, he retired and moved to the coast of California by uh, Eureka, and he lived, uh, he lived in a little town called Albion, and he gave up making pipes, and he turned to making uh, battery-operated deep-sea fishing reels that hooked up to your battery cigarette lighter. And uh, <laughs> one time after we, we I lost track of him, but through the power of the Internet, I was able to find him, and we hooked up again, and he just basically gave me all of his pipe-making stuff and 25 or 30 blocks of wire and said, you remember how to do this, just take it and go. And wow. that was in... 1999. Yeah, and that's when I first and started to hear about you. And how how do we come up with Laughing Moon is the name? Okay, now I have two daughters. Uh, one is now almost 27, and the other one's 24. And when they were young, they did 4-H in the little the town we lived in, Susanville. There's it's mostly ranchers and farmers, and uh, they did 4-H. But they like to do beads and bead craft and things like that. And I went up to a store. There was a lady in town on Main Street called the Bead Lady. And in her store, she had silver stamps that were like a, a punch, an awl, that had designs on them. And, I mean, I didn't know about, uh, I, I mean, I had bought Briar from Mark Tinsky, and he said, oh, I get my stamps made for my pipes from this place in New York. And I'm like, eh, I just do this as a hobby. I don't need a, I don't need a stamp. I did, but I do. I would like to have an identifier because I just use the electronic pencil, the electric pencil, the vibrating tattoo gun style pencil. Yep. And but I said anybody could do that. But you know, here's my ego thinking that somebody's <laughs> going to make these ugly pipes I make and then sign them and try to sell them. 
So, so uh, counterfeit them. And, but I said, oh, I get a stamp and I can press that into the wood and then sign it. And people will get to know that kind of. And that's how it turned out. And when we went up there, uh, I found one. It had a little moon on it with a little, little star thing. And I said, okay, I'll use this. And my kids found at the flea market a four-by-four four ceramic tile that had the moon on it and a little star. And the moon had a face, and it was laughing. And they said, that's what you should call your pipe, Dad. You should call them laughing moon pipes. <laughs> and I'm like, that sounds okay. Now, now, mind you, this was 1999, not quite the year 2000 yet. And uh, I just went with that, figuring, oh, this is just going to be some kind of hobby, which it really is. But uh, I'm fortunate that my hobby also, you know, I can buy lunch off of it. Yeah, so apparently you got over yeah. the shyness with girls because you had kids, so that that's good news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had, you know, I was 28 when I got married, and it was like, oh, it, took, it took that long for that to wear off. <laughs> what is your uh, favorite part of the pipe-making process? Well, I spent about two hours on a stem that's not finished today, I, I roughed it out of the, uh, you know, the, the rod today. So I would say making the stem is not my favorite part. <laughs> but uh, it's, I hadn't made any pipes for about the last year and a half. And uh, I got back into it a couple months ago at the request of a, a friend of mine, Chris Tarman. And we, when we went to Chicago this year, uh, he let me borrow a, a Radici, I think they're called the Aerosphere. It's the, their version of the reverse calabash. Yeah. And I'm not very artistic. I'm more uh, into the geometry of it and, the, and also the, the technical aspect of making the part. And I, when I saw I he had two of those Radicis, and he let me take one home with me. And I said, you know what? I could probably make my own version of the reverse calabash pipe because it's more, uh, it's a lot of engineering as opposed to a lot of uh, artistic, you know, the artistic portion of it. And in the last couple months, I've probably made 20 of them of varying shapes and different proportionalities of it. And it's really brought me back to being happy about making pipes again. Um, I... I do a lot, uh, I, I like a lot of stuff that's more just the more, uh, you know, engineering architecture portion as opposed to the uh, fantasy, science fiction-y kind of end of it. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, is there is there a shape that you like to make more than others? Um, you know, I, I enjoy the poker. I think that's a good, in all of its variations of the cherry wood and the pokers, and I, I really enjoy that shape, and uh, I'm enjoying the kind of tubo-style, Tom Miltang tubo-style pipes that I'm making right now, and, and I like to do a lot of stuff with bamboo. It's uh, whatever, whatever the pipe turns out to be on the pipe end, I can, you know, I've, I've done a lot of stuff with uh, steaming the bamboo to get a to to take to put a curve in it uh, or a reverse curve depending on you know if you want it to be like a, a uh, the hawkbill or the jolly boy pipe like that or uh, a couple a couple variations of, of that I really like the the tokutami style of the negative space of of pipes that he puts on the end of bamboo I'm like oh yeah that's pretty neat. And but I, I, I like to not get trapped into one thing, but uh, as far as functionality goes, you, you can't beat something that's basically a, a draft hole with a 90 degree uh, tobacco <laughs> chamber. And you can just like the Yeltang smoking machine. See, now you said you weren't artistic, and there you are talking about the negative space of a, of a reverse bend in the bamboo and all that stuff. So Yeah. 
That's the stuff I hear people say. I'm just parroting what other people say. Oh, the Internet's a wonderful thing. Yeah. All right, so we've got a few minutes left, and one of your jobs in the past few years is going to be something that I don't think we've ever had anybody on the show that's done it. Uh, but you are a uh, corrections officer for the state of California? Yes, I was. I'm retired from that. I've been retired from the state uh, since uh, New Year's Eve of 2009. And so you are actually in the prisons with the uh, with the bad people? Yeah, I worked at... I, sometimes people are familiar with, uh, by seeing on TV, the... A uh, place in California called uh, Pelican Bay. That's on a lot of those kind of uh, 48 hours type shows. And the place I was at was in Susanville. It's called High Desert State Prison. And it was the last stop for a guy before he went to Pelican Bay. If he was not able to program at my place, not able to follow the, the rules, as it were, then, then we made the determination to put him in the special housing unit. And I would imagine you saw some stuff and had to deal with some stuff that you probably don't want to ever have to see or deal with again. Oh, you know, people, life's funny. I mean, there's, uh, there are things where you're like, yeah, I wish that didn't happen. But then there's things that I miss it at times. There was a, there was a, camaraderie with people on both sides and it's like the thing the worst thing that ever happened in prison was uh when the state passed the law that said tobacco was now a felony to bring inside and uh, i can tell you that the fellas the, the the convicts they didn't care for not being able to smoke and i definitely didn't care for not being able to chew i'm also a chewer i like loose leaf tobacco like red man or Levi Garrett and stuff like that. And when they outlawed that, it it, it was uh, it was hard for a little while for both sides. But uh, other things that happened actually, that's just life. So wait a second, did they just all of a sudden decide? All right, you know, we're gonna on this date, all the tobacco is gonna be out of the prisons and off the federal, off the, yeah, the state when, grounds, and that was it. When, when uh, yeah, yeah, you can't even bring it on state grounds. It's, there's a big sign at the entrance that says uh, no tobacco allowed if it, if, a, if a convicted felon on the inside, if he's caught with it, he can pick up another uh, set of time constraints on him. Uh, if a free person, either a worker or a guard or a doctor or a nurse, is found with it, you can get fired for it. So what are you supposed to do? Throw it out the window when you drive into the parking lot? Well, you're just you're just supposed to leave it in there and hope nobody looks. But that all came down when Arnold Schwarzenegger was the governor. I mean, I don't know if he had anything to do with it per se, but it, it happened under his administration. And they phased it out over the period of, I think it was a year or 18 months. And uh, there was a small grace period, and then it went into full effect. And, there, you know, there was nothing better to do sometimes than walk around with there's a good feeling of just you and your one partner my partner kevin and i would walk around put in a big chew and walk around the yard it'd be just me and him and 1100 guys level four inmates walk in the yard together <laughs> and sometimes it's nice to have a chew in when you're doing that and i would imagine some of those guys would have been uh, happy to just stand there and smoke instead of causing problems that's that's true. I mean, I I I I don't know. I mean, it, that's all above my pay grade. But uh, but that was one of the that was one of the downsides of working in there was when they did away with being able to even chew. Wow. All right. Well, on that note, we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer. Just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? All right. What is your favorite pipe? Oh, my favorite pipe is actually uh, one made by S&R, Stephen Rosewita Anderson in Ohio. And it's a uh, sandblasted Canadian that my daughters bought me 
maybe 15 years ago. Uh. It's, uh, well, it's probably one of the three best smokers consistently that I have. And what is your favorite tobacco? Well, right now my favorite tobacco is one by C&D called Canal Boat. Yep. Um, comes in a two-ounce tin. I don't think you can buy it in bulk. I, I'm not sure, but I have a few tins of that. And, uh, you know, I have, yeah, okay. In, in case, in case what, what tins do I have open now is the question. I better not answer that until to last. <laughs> nope. What's your favorite drink? I'm not an alcohol drinker, uh, but I but I prefer. I mean, I I love French roast coffee made in a French press uh, apparatus. That's what I drink uh, every morning. Uh, um, when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? I I I would say. I would say mostly music. It would go music, book, movie. And and I bet you remember that uh, Peter Gabriel was in Genesis. I I do, <laughs> I do. <laughs> I, I definitely remember that. And uh, last thing is, do you have a particularly favorite pipe smoking related memory that we haven't talked about? Oh, I would say my uh, my I, it would be a toss-up because my youngest daughter, my oldest daughter, didn't want to have anything to do with pipes. But my youngest daughter, when she was about seven and seven years old, I had a little group one and a group two, and she would come out and load the group one and the group two, uh, and and in the shop when I'd be working, and she would light them both, and she would light one and hand it to me and light one and. And have it for herself. Not to encourage eight-year-olds to smoke, but <laughs> when you're sharing a daddy, daddy-daughter moment like that. Yeah. And at that time, you know, all the cell phones with cameras weren't out, but I had a digital camera, and I took a picture of her one time. And she didn't inhale or any of that. And once in a while, she would light a cigar and give it to me. But I had a picture of her holding a little teeny sandblasted group one and uh, blowing smoke out and waving. And I posted that on the... Uh, IRC, you know, hashtag pipes or whatever yeah. that was on the chat channel. And uh, she was an instant hero. But, but, my, <laughs> but my, my second favorite would be the night uh, that, as an adult, I went camping with friends who I've had as lifelong friends, my best friend since the second grade. His dad was a World War II uh, veteran, pipe smoker, and... The night that he, we were out camping, sitting around the fire, and I just smoked with a guy that was my childhood hero. Wow! And 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 felt as though okay, I'm I'm finally accepted into the into the uh, realm of that. Robert, where can we go to look at your pipes and buy your pipes? Well, uh, I'm launching. Uh, I have a beta version of a website that's just called Vature Pipes, V-A-C-H-E-R, pipes.com. And the, the beta version of it's up right now. I'm figuring out with my neighbor. He made the website for me how to, how to put the pipes on and how to put the, the PayPal button on there. Uh, but it will officially be launched for the Las Vegas show uh, the first weekend in November. So we got and, something to look forward to, and we'll get to see some of your pipes there, too. Yeah, and you can email me at this point at sales at vacherpipes.com. And again, it's V-A-C-H-E-R pipes.com. Robert, thank yeah. you very much for joining us. It's been a hoot. Hey, thank you for having me. And we'll be back in just a minute. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corn Cob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. 
Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. This is Internet Radio. Welcome back. I love hearing stories of the uh, the old pipe and tobacco shops of you know the 70s, 80s, even into the early 90s when it was still a full-service shop and every town had one. I mean, you know, we heard Rich talk about the, the shops in New York City and now uh, hearing Robert talk about the pipes in Sacramento. Oh, I'm lucky I've got one near me. Anyway, uh, make sure and check out uh, Robert's Pipes when uh, and go to check out his website, and I'll see him in Las Vegas in a couple of weeks. All right, for music, I did a quick punt while uh, while we were talking, and I found a uh, I knew where it was, and I found it. It's a uh, it's yes doing roundabout, but it's an all acoustic version, so no electronics, no nothing. Uh, just one of those cool versions of a great classic song. So uh has nothing to do with pipe smoking except that uh, Robert reminded me of Yes. So here they are.
Well, what'd you think of that? I mean, between the uh, between the couple of guitars in there and Rick Wakeman on keys, I mean, just incredible, incredible musicians. And you know what? Now that I think of it, there probably was a lot of pipe smoking going on when that song first came out. Probably not tobacco. You've got frickin' mail. In the mailbag, going back uh, several weeks, uh, commenting on the second episode with Mike McNeil, uh, we have Philo Beto uh, commenting on, uh, and he writes, I just listened to these two podcasts the other day. It seems odd to me that no one else besides Balkan Sobrains caught the part where Mike discussed the impending loss of Cyprian Latakia in the near future. We all know about the loss of Syria in Latakia, but this was the first and only time I've heard someone, especially someone so connected to all of the relevant tobacco players, predict the loss of Cyprian Latakia. This was a big, uh, this was as big of an oh shit moment as the first time I read about the FDA deeming regs. Uh, there are some comments back and forth, but let me just pipe in here that uh, there is, you know, issues in the country of Cyprus. And if the country of Cyprus can't keep their issues straight, those farmers may not be able to grow tobacco and then uh, produce the Latakia. The good news is, is that there's other places to do it. Uh, you know, it'll take them a couple of years to get the quality up, but there's other places to do it. And then going back to uh, Rich Esserman of last week, uh, Briar Buddha 48 writes, I love the show. Sadly, I've worked my way through all of them and now have to wait. <laughs> Eventually, I will start over from the beginning. I really enjoyed all the all of the Esserman interviews. As a suggestion, I think Esserman, McNeil, Bob from Samuel Goweth, Per Jensen, Greg Pease, and a few other experts should be on more than once a year. Their insight and knowledge, past, present, and future, will benefit us all. I highly agree with you. It's sometimes it's hard to get scheduling. Uh, however, if Greg Pease is listening, I have an open invitation for him to come back, and have been trying to get him to come back. So, if uh, you all want to harass him for me, go right ahead. Uh, Dino writes once again a truly delightful conversation with Rich. It was like sitting at a table in the smoking tent at the Chicago show or any show where folk exchange reminiscences, reminiscences, opinions, ideas, and information and lore. Which brings me to your rant. If the forum folk would only take some time away from forum posts and spend some time with real people by joining a pipe club, visiting a brick and mortar shop, going to some pipe shops, and tuning into the fabulous pipe show of the mind that your program provides, the real community would grow and strengthen, and the newbies and old farts would be richer for it. Thanks for a fun show. Love the gate. That's gate mouth. And he signs it, Dino. Um, yes, Dino, it would be great if the uh, if everybody listened to everything and participated in everything, but we all know that's just not quite possible for everybody to do it, but we'd like to see more of it. Uh, New Broom writes, A most enlightening and entertaining show. I learned to use toothpaste on my stems. It took me just over two years to become aware of this obvious solution. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, I'm going to play with some toothpaste on my stems, too. Uh, and then Al writes, I can't get enough of Rich Esterman and really enjoy these interviews. I try to always reference a radio show interview or segment when replying to a related thread on the forum. Thank you. I'd love to see more tie-ins on the radio podcast uh, and back to its namesake's forum. Uh, perhaps a weekly hot, hot topic section or similar. For example, this week we have a great discussion on Russell Lett's new Arcadia Gold Blend. Uh, regarding the Peter Siegel and Ken Barnes interviews, those were attained solely through the forum and their participation in various British threads. We have one of the best British sections of any pipe forum, but I don't think the forum and their activity was mentioned in either interview. As they used to say on ESPN, come on, man. <laughs> and then he says, I have to add that unfortunately the forum search feature just does not work very well. The best way to search for a topic on the forum is via Google and add pipesmagazine.com to your topic. That typically yields a solid answer. Yeah, that's all stuff that uh, Kevin and I a little bit can uh, work on improving. All right, there you go. 
comments, questions, uh, please email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com or post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page of pipesmagazine.com. And one last note for the Jewish New Year, which has begun already. Uh, Dino emailed me this. Uh, May the sounds of the shofar so farmish the devil that you and your family can daven righteously and be judged favorably. May all your days be as sweet as apples dipped in honey, and may you be written in the book of life for another year. La Shana Tova. And for that, I wish to every one of you. In just a minute, rave time. I'm Jeremy Reeves, head blender of Cornell and Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. At Cornell and Deal, we think the best things in life are better with age, and we are passionate about creating the best possible pipe tobacco available. Fueled by this passion, we introduced the Cellar Series, a collection of blends like no other. While the blends in this series are ready to smoke now, each one has been meticulously designed to optimize depth and complexity as the tobacco ages in the tin. Currently, the Cellar Series is comprised of Oak Alley, Chenet's Cake, Joie de Vivre, Old Grove, and Bourbon Blue, but we will be unveiling new additions to this very special series as time goes on. Pick up a tin to smoke now and save a few for later enjoyment so that you can experience all the richness and subtlety each blend will reveal through the years. Cornell and Deal's Cellar Series. The secret ingredient is time. Contact your local or online retailer for information. Scully retired from the Los Angeles Dodgers broadcasting team this past Sunday after a 67-year run as doing the play-by-play for the Dodgers. Uh, Vin Scully was a big part of my childhood from my first, my beginnings of love of baseball at age six or seven, all the way until I realized by age 10, 11 that, well, I pretty much sucked, and then I wanted to be Vin Scully. Even to the point when in high school, while I was the sports announcer there, uh, I got lucky enough to spend a half an inning inside the press box and watch Vin Scully call a game and then got to meet him afterwards. Vin Scully for 67 years called the Dodgers baseball games on radio and TV. Yes, the last uh, 10 years or so he slowed down to not traveling as much with the team or not going as far east with the team. But for 67 years, he was the voice of the Dodgers, and he painted a picture verbally of every ball game. Vin Scully knew that the game and the fans were more important than the players and him. And every time he got behind the microphone, it was just like listening to a friend describe what was going on. He knew when not to talk. He knew when to talk. And he was a master at his art. And for 67 years, he provided a beautiful view of the game of baseball. Even when I lost interest in baseball in the last 20 years because of all the issues in baseball, it was still nice to catch a Dodgers game or tune into a game, even on the internet, and just listen to Vin Scully talk about the game while I was working on something. So, thank you, Vin Scully. 67 years behind the microphone a feat that will uh, never be matched and uh, there's nobody that should ever match it including me i couldn't imagine this show going on for 67 years <laughs> uh, listen to 10 shows in a row and it'll sound like 67 years anyway i want to thank robert for joining me thank you all for tuning in and until next time Bombadida,
bombadida, bombadida, bombadida, Say there's something kind of yeah about a kid that's never played baseball. <laughs> <laughs> 